This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey there, cat lovers. Welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm your host, Dr. Catherine Prim, and I'm a small animal veterinarian and cat lover. So today is kind of different because we are responding to a listener request that we discuss how to introduce your cat to a new baby. So I have invited Dr. Elise Christensen with me here today. She is a board-certified veterinary behaviorist, and she will be able to answer how to best introduce your cat to your new baby right after these messages. We'll be right back. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Dogosuds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Dogosud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Dogosuds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hey, welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. So I have with me Dr. Elise Christensen. Hi, Dr. Christensen. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, so I um, I want my listeners to know that she was so gracious to me and let me follow her around for a day in her practice and see her in action. And she is amazing. So I'm excited to have her here to, to help all of my listeners out there who may be planning to have or soon to have a new baby and also have a beloved cat. So let's get started. What would you say is one of the most important things that cat owners and potential parents need to know? Wow. Always making me narrow things down. Um, Okay. My special talent is making things more complicated instead of simpler. So let's see if I can help. I think making sure that you have a routine that seems ridiculously simple and doable for your cat that you can do, you think, when baby shows up is probably one of the most important things. Cats, of course, are creatures that while they do enjoy some level of variability, really don't love change that much. And having a new baby in the home creates a cascade of changes that can be intolerable for some cats, especially if they don't have some help on the upfront. At the very least, if you have a plan for how you're going to manage your litter box, how you are going to manage meeting your cat's normal species-specific needs for play and social interaction and appropriate food puzzles or hunting toys for meal times, if you have those things dialed in before baby shows up, that's going to really help with your cat's adjustment. So that was what I wanted you to say with oversimplifying is that that it requires planning on everyone's part to make things more smooth, I think. So you got there. Um, All right. Do we have to 
consider an individual cat's temperament at all? Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, every cat is different from its buddy next door, even if they're genetically related brothers or sisters, they can be very different in temperament. Some cats are exquisitely sensitive to noises, for instance. And of course, when babies are on the way, we know noises are going to be coming into the picture. So if we are already on notice, because the kitty is already doing a little bit of excessive startle, or maybe hiding when noises happen, then that is something that we should take really seriously and work on as much as possible before B-Day for the baby happens, because we won't be able to control all the vocalizations of an infant. And we know that cats can be really stressed by noises. And most of the time, families don't notice it at all until you start asking questions about it. So can you prepare or attenuate your cat's response to the noises associated with a baby? You bet. I mean, the first part of working on any problem with fear or anxiety is making sure that you're meeting that animal's needs as an individual and as a species. So we talked a little bit about that as far as making sure we have play, making sure litter boxes are clean, making sure that we are using food puzzles or hunting toys for all of our meals as often as possible. Those would be our baseline work. But for those cats who have sensitivities about noise, we can also work to teach them to be less anxious about noises in a few different ways. One is, and I would recommend that you do this with help from somebody who works with cats with sensitivities to noises because you can go down the wrong path here. But generally, we would potentially expose the cat at a level that he doesn't have a fearful response to, to those noises in a very limited way while doing something fun or pleasant for the cat. And we would repeat that over time. And gradually, we would increase the intensity of the noise. But like I said, that does take some coaching because unfortunately, what is really common is that people who try to embark on teaching a cat to tolerate noises or handling or any variety of other things may actually move their behavior modification plan too far, too fast, and they can accidentally make the cat worse. So the good news is there are lots of people out there that do, for instance, our service does that. I'm sure that other services do as well that do Skype or teletraining for cat behavior because we get our best success when cats are generally in their home environment. And so if you have even an outside provider that doesn't come to your home, but can work with you by training on Skype or video chat, you can actually make a lot of progress. Okay, so you mentioned play time. Can we talk a little bit more about how we can integrate play and be reliable because cats like schedules? What are your recommendations for playtime for cats? Well, whenever I'm working with my clients, a big part of our job is, as you can imagine, habit formation for our clients. So we try to look at the human habit formation literature and do what we think we know about works best for people. One trick that we sometimes use for scheduling play or other interactions with cats is making sure that we pair them specifically with things the owners already have a habit about doing. For instance, toothbrushing. Many people brush their teeth right away in the morning. We can pair toothbrushing with five to seven minutes of play, and we'll probably get a much better chance that it will happen than if we try to ask them to implement an entirely new routine in their day. So at two o'clock in the afternoon where you've never done anything specific before, please start playing with your cat is probably not going to be successful for a lot of people. 
So I could put a post-it note on my toothpaste that says, yeah. don't forget to play with the cat. Yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. Okay. Yeah. Or when you're making your tea in the morning, if you drink coffee or make tea or at night, if you make a cocktail, right? If I'm doing this specific action, the thing that gets paired with it is an interaction with the cat. Well, I drink a lot of coffee, so my cat would get a lot of playing. So what about the cat being used to kind of being the center of attention and now the parents are going to be completely focused on this new being? Is there anything that you can kind of do to head that off? I think making sure that you really know who your cat is and the kind of attention they prefer is the first step there because lots of family members think their animals like specific things and maybe that their animals need specific things. When in reality, if you really look at the animal's behavior, they're not even that into it. <laughs> so before you get worried about making sure that your cat doesn't feel left out, make sure you know what things your cat really enjoys, right? For instance, if your cat really loves to sit on your lap while you watch TV at night, if you are lucky enough to have the time to sit on the couch and watch TV or, you know, check your Facebook or something like like that. If that's something that's a routine for your cat that they do often, then we would want to see like, okay, well, how is this thing going to happen when baby shows up? And if it does, what will it look like? And is there a way that if this particular approach, kitty sitting on my lap would not work, then how can I make it work for both of us and start working on it now? For instance, cats probably sit on laps for a few reasons. One is they're warm, right? Cats love warmth. The other is some cats love social attention from people. They may not actually even want to be touched during that or petted. They just want to rest on a person's lap and be close for those cats. Getting them a heated bed that is close to where you might be sitting with baby if you are taking care of the baby or nursing the baby or bottle feeding, whichever you're doing. So the cat can be close, but still has the, the softness and the warmth of something cozy can be a win-win because then we can have the closeness, but without having the cat on your lap at the same time, which as long as your cat is not aggressive in any way, is not necessarily dangerous for the baby to have baby and kitty very close. It's just difficult because especially if you're a first time parent, the mechanic mechanics of nursing and bottle feeding and diaper changing, they're all so new that it can add just an extra wrinkle to getting your stuff done. That's great advice. So I want to take a quick break and come back with a little bit more because i got a lot more questions for Dr. Christensen. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dr. Katherine Prim, and I would like to make you aware of some products that I've discovered. Dr. Elsie's Pet Products. So you all know that I have a cat named Scamper, and Scamper is a little bit sensitive. So I have to choose sort of special stuff for Scamper. Dr. Elsie's Ultra Litter has been kind of a godsend for us. It's made with clean ingredients, and it's low on dust, so it sort of addresses the needs that Scamper personally has. You can feel really good about choosing Dr. Elsie's pet products because they're veterinarian formulated and they're tested. So they combine science and the love for pets to meet the needs of even the most sensitive pets like my Scamper. Here's the really good news. You can get a rebate. Dr. Elsie's will pay you up to $20 for your first bag of Ultra Litter or any Dr. Elsie's litter by visiting drelsies.com forward slash Dr. Cat. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com forward slash Dr. Cat, which is D-R-K-A-T. So check it out, give it a try and get up to $20 back. 
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. And of course, we're here talking about integrating your new baby into your home where you already have a cat or cats. So I want to kind of pick up where we left off. You said some things that I think are important about giving a cat a safe place. Can you go into a little more detail on that? You bet. Probably every person and every cat, certainly every dog and lots of different species are going to feel more comfortable interacting with the world if they have what for them is a safe home base. And I don't just mean a home. I mean a specific location where they can reliably go and have a pleasant environment. Then that would be determined by the individual animal that they can go to and be undisturbed. So for many cats, not all, this is different, of course, depending on the cat, but many cats like to have elevated resting areas. Many cats prefer those resting areas to have something cozy on them. So like your typical polyester fleece or those little wool blankets. Or right now um, I have what I call my cat's little cloud ledge where he goes and it's just um, a sheep fleece actually that he loves to rest on. So make sure that we have a space that we make extra fun and extra positive that the animal can go to to escape the general stressors of life. Having a baby around is stressful for everybody. Having a baby around for an animal who may not have been socialized, that is exposed in a pleasant way to infants and infant crying and infant movements early in life, it can be very stressful for cats. So we want to make sure they have a space that they are they can go to on their own. And in a perfect world, we even teach them to go there on cue. We teach them to go there when we ask. Because the problem for a lot of families is that They don't recognize that even sometimes when animals want to move away from a situation or even when they are feeling stressed, if their brains get into fight or flight or freeze, they cannot move. And so if you are able to use a cue and to train a cue well ahead of time so that they they pair or in their head, they're able to recognize when I hear that something good is going to happen for me. I'm going to go to my safe spot and something really good is going to happen for me. We sometimes move them out of harm's way and we can help them de-stress by doing that. They'll also, of course, always have the opportunity to go on their own. So we find the place that the cat likes the best. Sometimes it's elevated. For some cats, it wouldn't be. Sometimes it would be like a little hidey hole. Sometimes it would be something open. This would just depend on the cat. Ideally, we have multiple locations where the cat could go, but you need to have at least one. And we might say, okay, we'll take treats that we know the cat likes. And even when the cat's not in that spot, we're going to sprinkle a few in there so that if, if he or she happens to go up there, it's not just a cozy, safe place, but it's also super awesome. Kind of like if I went up to my bedroom and there was a chocolate on my pillow, right? I'd be like, awesome, best day ever, right? Same thing here. We want to just kind of get them excited about going to that spot. And if we see them in that spot on their own, we might come by and do things that we are convinced the animal likes. So for some cats, that would be petting under the chin or around the head area. I wouldn't touch them anywhere else in a safe zone. And I would only touch them if I was convinced the cat liked it. Or you could put treats or even a little bit of catnip in there to make it pleasant. 
So it's really funny. The safe place that I picked for my cat is not really the safe place that he wanted. And I thought it looked great. So Mm -hmm. I think listening to your cat is important, don't you think? So important. And you can find where your cat likes to go by just watching their behavior, right? If, for instance, my cat, his preferred area, if it's not his sort of elevated cloud lounge, is immediately in front of the fireplace in the winter, right? That's where he wants to be. It's on the floor. So it sort of defies logic. If you know cat behavior, we always think of them wanting someplace that's elevated. But for him, the heat is more important. He likes being close to that ambient heat. So if I were having a baby and eventually, of course, importantly, a toddler, right? And I knew that my cat's preferred safe zone was by the fireplace. I would probably be making a plan for how I was going to keep the toddler away from that zone, whether I was using it, for instance, an exercise pen, even a short one can be useful for cats and toddlers to keep them safely separated. Well, toddlers add a whole new element because the toddler can actually pursue the cat. So so let's talk about that for a minute. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah, my first bit of advice on toddlers and cats is please do not use your cat to teach your toddler how to pet cats. That is, it's one of those times where you know, every once in a while for lectures, I'll go on YouTube and try to find videos. And what ends up happening is I end up looking at all the videos and quietly imploding in my brain because people are doing the best that they can with what they have. What they don't know is that there is a lot of development that has to happen for a human to be able to touch a cat in a way a cat likes. Even many adults do not have the impulse control required to pet a cat in the way the cat would find enjoyable. So we can't expect an 18-month-old to get that. That's completely irrational. But because people have a misunderstanding of child development and what they can do at what ages, and because they don't really understand the body language their cat might be showing, saying that they're not interested in being touched or being touched in that way, they may accidentally encourage multiple interactions between the toddler and the cat that instead of improving their relationship, actively damage it. So if there was one thing I would tell families with toddlers, it's yes, teach your toddler cat body language and how to touch a cat, but don't practice touching on your live cat. Get a stuffed animal, practice with that. You know, I find that my cat tells me things. I'm an adult and I'm a veterinarian, but sometimes he doesn't want to be petted in the way that I pet him and I just have to kind of watch him. So, you know, cats just aren't easy as some pets maybe. You know, I think that's true, but I think mostly it's because people don't really read them very well and they don't err on the side of respectfully removing themselves if the cat is showing a sign that is difficult to interpret. For instance, some cats, when they're very excited, either in a good way or in a way that says they're very uncomfortable and excited, will do a lot of tail thrashing, right? So my instructions to families is if your cat's tail is moving, you should stop what you're doing because the chances are what you're doing is uncomfortable or stressful for the cat. I would rather err on the side of caution. So if we can just help people understand their cat's body language a little bit better and they can have a little bit more impulse control about how they interact, I think they actually would have a lot more positive interactions. But there isn't that much information that is widely disseminated on the body language of cats that many people actually find, right? Most of the time, people are watching videos of cats getting scared by cucumbers, right? And I get why people are doing that, but it's not that useful for your day-to-day interaction with cats. No, I agree. That video, we still talk about that 
video series. But anyway, so I read something. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but I read something okay. when I was when I was researching for this show that said something about if you have a really close relationship with your cat, you should dilute the relationship intensity in preparation for the birth of your child. And I don't know about that. What do you think about that? You know, I hesitated to mention that earlier for the same reasons you probably are conflicted. And that is that I don't think actively diluting a social bond is particularly wise. However, setting up your relationship and your plan and your routine ahead of time so that you can proactively meet your cat's needs before baby comes home and so that it's already hopefully on as much autopilot as possible is a setup for a win. So I'm not suggesting that you decrease the interaction with your cat, but I am suggesting that you structure it so that it's more likely to happen and that your cat can predict when it's going to happen. Knowing that when an infant shows up, things fall apart and people are so exhausted, they're basically managing their lives at the level of complete drunkenness 24-7, right? So things will fall apart. But if you can at least have some of those habits already instilled, some of them will continue, like especially if you pair it with going for the coffee, right, or going to the refrigerator for water or going anything that you would be doing with the baby. If you compare them together, whenever I do this, I'm going to do a couple of seconds of interaction with the cat. That's going to be a huge win for your cat. Well, I think that diluting the relationship intensity just kind of felt wrong to me. It didn't sit well with me. And so I'm glad. I love your answer. It's it's much better than what I had read. Also, the same article said something about being wary about reassuring anxiety, which also just didn't sit quite right with me. Can you do you know what that article is talking about? I mean, I know what that article is talking about, but I'm not exactly sure which article you're referring to. There is in the popular literature and occasionally when professionals in behavior aren't really thinking about what they're saying and how the public might interpret it, you'll hear things that say, you know, don't pay attention to your animal when your animal is anxious or fearful because you will reinforce the underlying fear. Fear is not reinforced by being comforted. Fear is reinforced by making things more scary. So if your cat is feeling uncomfortable and you know a way to help him feel comfortable and that way is comfortable for both of you, then you should do it. If what you're worried about is, for instance, a good example here where this gets a little muddy is vocalization, right? Well, the cat is crying. The cat is vocalizing. Maybe he's vocalizing because he's anxious. The problem here is, is that cats are extremely vulnerable to reinforcement of vocalization. So while you wouldn't necessarily be reinforcing the fear, if you comforted a cat who is vocalizing due to fear, you might accidentally reinforce the behavior of vocalization. So there is a place here where it seems like it's splitting hairs, but it's actually an important difference. So it's not wrong to comfort a cat who's vocalizing, but if you see that the vocalization is continuing, either in spite of the fact that you're attempting to comfort or you think that you've accidentally increased the frequency of vocalization, then we need to backtrack. The good news is, is that if you accidentally reinforce a behavior that you don't want, we can stop reinforcing it and the behavior will diminish. Well, I like your idea of creating the safe place and coupling that with positive things. So maybe when you want to reassure your cat, then entice him or her to come to the safe place and get rewarded for that. I would feel a little bit better about that plan. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of ways that you can help de-escalate an animal, whether it's a human or a non-human animal's anxiety or fear that would require you to interact with that individual in the moment. I mean, if you have a misunderstanding of the science of learning and the science of behavior, and certainly if you've been parented in very specific ways, you might feel very weird about trying to coach that animal or that individual through their fear in a healthy way. Of course, you are well aware that there's still plenty of parents who feel like the science suggests that we should throw kids literally into the deep end if they're afraid of water, or that if our child is crying because of vaccinations, we shouldn't be comforting them because we might be exacerbating their fear. And that's just a misinterpretation of how learning works. So I think there's a lot of room for us to help our kitties in ways that don't add fuel to the fire. And again, the good news is if you accidentally reinforce a behavior you don't want, we can backtrack. Well, that is definitely good news because I do like to comfort my cat sometimes when I think that he feels afraid. So yes, I appreciate your input on that. Well, so can you speak a little bit about if someone has questions about stuff like that, how do they find a veterinary behaviorist or how do they find good information for themselves? Oh, that's a great question. Actually, I know it's just me getting so dorked out on what I do, but there's never been a better time to be a cat owner. We know so much about cats. We still need to know a lot more, but there's so much easier access to excellent scientifically based information on cat behavior than there's ever been before. For instance, when I first started, this is so sad, but when I first started in vet school and in my residency, like the internet just wasn't as good as it is now, right? So of course there's a lot of junk on the internet, but the good news is, is that there are ways to cycle through that and figure out where your good stuff is. Your good stuff is not really reliably in the popular media. It can be there, but you can't rely on it. You can always look for a veterinary behaviorist at the College of Veterinary Behaviorists website, and you can find that easily enough. Just type in American College of Veterinary Behaviorists into Google and you will find it. Um, Unfortunately, the location finder on there is a bit wonky right now. We're redoing the website. But for basic information on cat behavior, um, one of the best places to go right now, there's two. One is the Fear Free website, so Fear Free Happy Homes. Um, And the other one would be the Indoor Pet Initiative from Tony Buffington's group at The Ohio State University. Those are some really great resources there on cat body language, cat problem resolution, traveling with your cat, like just for instance, taking your cat to the veterinarian can be so scary, not just because the veterinary experience is inherently frightening for most cats, but because traveling in the car is inherently frightening for cats, right? So there's a lot of really great resources at both of those websites. And if you are not going to look anywhere else, and in fact, I would recommend you not look anywhere else, just go there because you'll find lots of good information at those two places. Well, that is great advice. And I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and talk with us today because I've been dying to interview you and I'm so happy to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love that you do a podcast about cats. Cats don't get nearly enough attention and we know they're getting to be more and more popular as pets for all of the reasons that cat lovers like us know about. And that is that they're fascinating and adorable and so much fun to live your life around. I agree. They are definitely individuals. My cat is his own man. So um, thank you to all of my listeners for being loyal and wonderful. And thank you to my amazing producer, Mark Winter. Now, I want you guys to all go out and have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.